0: Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Today we've got on the show a producer who got a start in the mailroom at William Morris and is also the co-founder of the million-dollar collegiate screenplay competition, The Launch, which recently completed production on their inaugural feature film, The Obituary of Tunde Johnson, Zach Green. And we're also joined by the director of Tunde Johnson, who is also an Emmy-winning writer and producer who created the CW series Everyone Hates Chris with Chris Rock and developed the film-to-TV adaptation of a hit comedy. Are we there yet for TBS? Ali and Leroy, thank you for coming on, gentlemen.
1: Hey, you're welcome.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: Before we get started on all the great uh, topics, like the launch, uh, screenplay competitions, your new film, Ali, the uh, obituary of Tunde Johnson, uh, I wanted to touch base on an issue that's sort of uh, topical currently, which is the WGA... ATA uh, conflict. It's not even really a strike. As both a WGA and DGA member, but specifically right. WGA, right. Uh, what's your take on that, on the WGA-ATA dispute, Ali, and how has it affected you in particular?
1: Well, yeah, I have I have a couple of different perspectives on it. I mean, uh, you know, on the one hand, the, the larger idea that's being fought for um, you know this argument against packaging and how you know how that money is is split up and where it's coming from and the conflicts of interest are you know, it's it's a it's a real point you know worthy of of uh you know arguing making clear you know as it is with any media that's evolving uh you know there's always some money on the table coming from some place, and there are people who are getting. The, the lion's share of it and trying to figure out how to keep as much of that as they possibly can and deceiving the other people who should be getting some of it for one reason, or another, like they came up with the stuff that you're getting money off of. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like that, that's like a, a, a real argument. And I think perhaps it has become uh, more significant because uh, if this is a deal that's functionally been in place for over 40 years, everyone agrees that that's the case. Uh, you know, when at its inception, you know, the people who were involved in these negotiations probably didn't know how to take advantage of it in the way that they had. And also the, the, the landscape of entertainment and the way that the content is created and how it's distributed and, and ultimately what is the value of it, the way that that has is happening now has changed significantly. So I'm for getting, you know, my fair share of stuff that I create. Sure. Right. Uh, the other side of it is, um, you know, I do have a a real issue with, uh, our guild. I do. Um, and you know, I, I guess, you know, I don't, I don't know where I land in terms of saying this, but what I have seen, you know, since the last strike, when we were out against the studios in 2008 or whenever that was. I just kind of find it problematic that however it is, our guild is going about this process of negotiating for our best interests. What it looks like is that we don't seem to be able to do that without, you know, without it becoming a high stakes game of chicken all the time. Right. Uh, That's, that's problematic for me. Um, You know, there, there are other guilds who seem to be able to find ways to make deals and I'm not saying that that we should do what they do or that they should do what we do but what i do understand is that we all know that there's some money on the table uh people want to be compensated fairly uh they don't want to be lied to they don't want to be deceived they don't want to be ripped off (laughs) and i wish that in the state of our negotiations or the way that we went about these practices we were able to do it in a way that was far less dramatic i'd rather keep the drama in our lives on the pages that we make money off of instead of actually throwing people's lives into mayhem because you know, we can't come to terms, right? There's a real way to do this. And I don't want to get into, uh, you know, exactly how that could be done and the negotiating committee probably has plans and ideas, but you know, so I'm a black writer. Uh, and right now, uh, there are young black writers out there who are coming up on a staffing season and and suddenly you're submitting to, to websites and and trying to, you know, connect with the people that, you know, and, uh, you know, the WGA just released an ish, uh, report that's basically like 88 percent of showrunners are white males. So if the network that you're attached to is 88 percent white male and you're a young black writer, it's going to be incredibly difficult for you to crack that nut with an agent. When you have agents submitting you to these people, they don't hire you. So how the hell are you supposed to get a job when you don't even have that? You know, you don't even have your white agent as an advocate anymore. Right. Or, or a black agent who knows a white agent, who knows the white showrunner. You know, now I got to trust the email account. You know, I, some showrunner's getting 1,200 scripts and he's going to read these. No. Right. Shit, I won't read 12 scripts. <laughs> I'm going to read one script, maybe five. And then i am start asking people, you know this guy? So that's kind of what happens. So I mean, the that's what's tough for me, is that uh, young writers of color, black writers, Asian writers, you know, his um, I don't know whether he's a Latinx, a Hispanic. I don't fucking know what to call it anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to catch up, and it's shifting. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's shifting. So you know, you can let me know what the proper thing is, but I, as I understand, those people don't agree either. Uh, <laughs> you know, women, whatever it is, it's like you got all of these people who are in that twelve percent who are not uh, uh, white males. And it's like, how are they supposed to crack, crack this nut? You know, this fight is not their fight. It's just not. You know, hey, David Simon, Meredith whoever, me. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a show on there, a couple of shows that went into syndication. There was some packaging. There might be some money there. But man, if you're an executive story editor, it's like, dude, I'm just trying to pay some rent right now. This is not my fight. It could be, but it's not right now. <laughs> right. Right. So I, I could go on. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> and Zach, yeah, you know, uh,
0: as a working producer, how has the WJATA conflict affected you, if at all, and or your what's your take on it?
2: Yeah, I, I would have to say that you know it, it's definitely troublesome. I think on on both sides. I hear the WGA uh, argument, and then I also hear and understand uh, the agents' argument. Um, and, and I think it probably falls somewhere in the middle in terms of what needs to be done. Uh, but like Ali said, you know, it, it's, it's, it's troublesome just to me personally that there's all these young writers out there that are trying to make it in the business and maybe have just gotten an agent, and now they have to fire them. There was a story not too long ago that there was um, a kid, I think he was signed to Verve, and uh, he was an usher, right, I and heard that. he wrote this incredible screenplay, and they just sold it as a spec screenplay for like mid-six figures, and it was sold right before you know the, the WGA thing went into effect, and now he just had to fire his agents. Right, right. And so it, 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 it's tough, but like I said, I, I understand both sides. In terms of as a producer, uh, what's also difficult is if you're working with WGA writers... And you need to negotiate a deal. It's still sort of unclear of who you go to to try to negotiate that deal. Because you can't necessarily negotiate it with the agent. There are the lawyers and the managers that are trying to step up. But still there's some uncertainty there. And I think there may have been a federal lawsuit. There's a call center
1: in India. Yeah, yeah, literally. (laughs) Uh, Hey, I'd like to uh,
2: try to pay this rider a lot of money. Negotiate my new deal. Yeah. So it's it's a difficult situation. and, And... uh, I'm working on a couple of, of new projects that we're, we're trying to, um, that already have been written and we're trying to package up uh, some films. And uh, we've been told that the agencies, you know, things are slowing down on the film side specifically. Oh, and I so see. they're looking to help try to package up new projects that already have been negotiated right. because things are sort of slowing down, not necessarily coming to a standstill, but I, I just hope that it all uh, uh, gets figured out here fairly quickly so that. We can get back to whatever sense of normalcy we have <laughs> in our lives and in this crazy business.
0: So, speaking of the packaging side, if you're going out with a project, um, taking to an agency, is that still going on? Like, you have the script, so it's not necessarily being packaged on the script end. Well, so like, film are, they, are they are they going to package?
2: Are they still packaging actors? The filmmakers? Is that still happening? Yeah, because film and television is different. Sure. So with television, if you're going to package, you know, that's a completely different animal. They get a piece of the budget, they get a piece right. of the uh, potential profits, and then they don't uh, uh, commission their actors. On the film side, it isn't the same. So for a project, if if we have a lot of actors that we really like at UTA, and we go and sit down and chat with them, then we can put a whole bunch of UTA clients in our movie, and they still take the commission on the clients. So it's sort of packaging, but not in the same lexicon is. is, is Right, so that's
0: sort of unaffected. Yeah, even though
2: they they technically can't package WGA writer
0: clients since they don't have any their scripts. Right, if if we we already have the script script and
2: we've already made the deal for the script and and, and that's been done beforehand, then yeah then the agencies can still help us out and put it together because with film it's much different than with television. The film issue is companies like William Morris, who has Endeavor Content, and CAA, which has I think WIAP, is that they're kind of Playing the both sides. Right. Endeavor content is investing in film and WIP is investing in film. And then on the flip side, their sister agency then has to negotiate against their own company to try to get the highest fee.
1: So there probably is a little bit uh, of conflict But but to there. be fair, those operations are in completely different offices. Yes, no, they are. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Yeah, there is a wall. They got a, a wall. They got different yeah. phone numbers. Right, right. All that stuff. Different names. They might even have to come in a separate entrance right, yeah, to right. the building. Right. Maybe. yeah. So it's like it's yeah. kind of the same, but not. But different. Same, same, but different. Like if you slept with your sister. Well. Like it's not. It's like it's kind of the same, but it's not. But it's it's maybe a cousin. I don't know. Right. There I mean. is sex involved. With one person that's related <laughs> to another person. Right. We're going to talk about Game of Thrones now? or oh, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh goodness um okay after that let's 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 keep going yeah um, uh, we're still going to talk about uh the launch and Tunde johnson but before that ali you've been yes. in the business a long time yes you have obviously you know worked on a tremendous amount of film and television done some stuff done some stuff you got an emmy where's your emmy
1: uh, it's on a, it's on a shelf in my house. You walk in yeah. and there's an Emmy, Emmy and a couple of, uh, NAACP image awards. And then I got a bunch of Emmy nominations. and I don't know where those are. Uh, I think I got a golden globe nomination. I don't know where that is. Uh, Do people come over to your house and take pictures with them? No, they don't. They really? just Yeah, it's just sitting there. Yeah, uh-huh. You know, but well, it's nice.
0: But if someone were to come over, could they take a picture? If they wanted
1: to,
2: sure. Yeah. <laughs> Hold it, pretend like you want it. Right, yeah. absolutely. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't make a big deal out of it, so it never occurs to me that anybody that comes thinks it's a big deal. Like, right. I, But they might. I don't know.
0: Well, it's funny because I worked for an agent at CIA who had an Oscar in his office, but yeah. it wasn't his... An actor client had passed and willed it to him. Oh wow! Oh wow! And so he had it in his office, and everyone that came in would want to take a picture with it for the yeah. side, You know, yeah. touch it, uh, rub yeah. it, get some good luck. Yeah, why not?
1: Yeah. So yeah, it's it, man.
0: Cool. <laughs> um, now, uh, but where did you get your start in the industry, and what is it that inspired you to want to work in the
1: film business? In this business, business? Yeah. Of. Uh, I don't know. a like As a um, kid, you saw and then you said, "I right, have to do All right, all or... <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, 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 Other than having a childhood that made me need <laughs> and want love and care and attention from strangers, <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> other, other than
3: other that, other than that, <laughs> other,
1: than that yeah. other than that, I really liked the Carol Burnett show. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: so uh I honestly it was like it was one of these weird things. Like I I, I did I used to watch and you know, I'm an older guy, so uh yeah, I used to watch the Carol Burnett show with my mother on Sunday nights. And I don't know, maybe just someplace inside there, the idea that, you know, that, that laughter had that power and that was a shared time that I had uh with her and it wasn't something that I knew inherently that I wanted to do. Uh but when I met some guys in high school who were interested in doing sketch comedy. I was interested in Monty Python and, you know, the Marx Brothers and, you know, uh, Saturday Night Live and all this stuff. And somebody, not me, had the idea, hey, let's start a comedy group. And they pulled me into it. And so uh, I kind of, you know, uh, uh, started there. And, you know, like I did weird stuff, wrote for my school newspaper. I thought I was going to be like a a columnist writer. Oh. You know, uh, in Chicago, in Chicago there were... uh, some high-profile columnists who did humor. Uh, uh, Mike Royko, Bob Green, Irma Bombeck, right? These were people that... and It was in the newspaper, right? And I used to like to read that stuff, and it was pretty cool. Uh, You know, but eventually I ended up performing uh, first in the group uh, comedy team doing sketches and stuff on stage because I came up in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Second City was big there, improv, but we were more written style, you know, kids in the hall uh, down that street. And then eventually I... uh, Uh, became stand-up and went solo and just kind of continued on down that path, but ultimately came back to writing. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, And where did you... How did you get your break? Like, how did you get your start in writing? Like, your first gig?
1: Uh, So, um, this comedy group that I was with called Mary Wong.
3: Uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We did a bunch of sketches and stuff, and so we uh, did... Some of the TV shows in the early 80s, I don't think it was a what was this? Bill Boggs. It's a guy in New York uh, named Bill Boggs, and he had a comedy show. And we did that show, and then we toured doing colleges and that sort of stuff. And then ultimately, we would take uh, a little bit of money and put together like a little video, oh, okay. right? We did a little short of of a few sketches and circulated that around, and. Sinbad's brother. <laughs> really? Sinbad's brother, Mark Adkins, uh, was uh, doing a show called Comedy... Gosh. It was when the Comedy Channel and... Like, it wasn't Comedy Central yet. It was the Ha Channel and, and Comedy... I think it was called the Comedy Channel. I don't remember. Uh, but there was a show that uh, A.J. Jamal was the host of. And Mark brought us in to, to write sketches like, on that show. And so that kind of became my first foray into writing and performing on television. I cannot remember the name of that show, though. Oh, it, was a oh, no. song. <laughs> it was Comedy That's Something. It was Comedy Something, and there was some black people, and it wasn't the Apollo. <laughs> so, it wasn't Living Color. Go ahead, Internet, get out there. Right. <laughs> See if you can find that
0: show. Um, okay, cool. No, I mean, I hear a lot of... of comedy writers getting their start in, you know, either stand-up or Yeah, yeah, comedy. and this, this was
1: in Chicago, uh, and then, uh, you know, they would ultimately do a second season of that show, and then uh, on the writing side, uh, that was maybe late 80s, uh, and, uh, you know, I had met, Chris, uh, had met Chris Rock in the late 80s in New York mm-hmm. uh, performing, and, you know, I mean, you, you know, we bumped into each other, you know, out there on the road, and, you know, we got on fine. Uh, and then ultimately, he would uh, get his opportunity to do his HBO show, and he called me up and another guy that I was writing with, uh, Lance Crowder, who played Pootie Tang. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he would call up me and Lance to come work on his show in New York, and that really solidified the beginning of my writing career because when I went to that show, I was also on tour as a stand-up with Bernie Mac. Oh, I had been working with Bernie for a number of years by that time. And so uh, I had been married for a couple of years. I had my first kid. Uh, They were in Chicago. I was working on Chris's show in New York and on the road with Bernie on the weekends. So for me, literally is like, okay, I need to make a choice here because I don't have the, you know, I don't have the time, the energy to do all of these things. Uh, And the pragmatic choice I really made was, okay. I really love stand-up. However, to be able to create the product that all of the other people are trying to be a part of, for me, made more sense than just getting in the line of people trying to get somebody else to give them something. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing because some of those guys, you know, Chris being one of them, and just sure. really incredible, dynamic people, but the, the line to create was shorter, and I was in that room. Right. <laughs> right. That room was paying a, a, a better return than being out on the road with Bernie every week, you know. <laughs> I mean, and literally, it's like I was doing shows that was fantastic. I bought a house off that money, you know. But now I'm in the room with HBO executives and other, you know, and people who can really, you know, give me the foundation for a, a career. So that was my writing school.
0: Right, and you don't have to Girl. travel all over the country to, to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, it certainly has its challenges, but uh, you know, that was just my choice. Gotcha. Um, let's see. Oh.
0: So Zach, um, same question. How did you decide you wanted to work in the entertainment industry? And What was your first gig?
2: Yeah, well, definitely not as exciting as uh, Ali's story. But uh, I grew up in Chicago as well at, at, at a bit of a different time. I'm a little younger than Ali, so uh, you, you
0: didn't you didn't tour d- stand up with Bernie? <laughs> no, no, I,
2: I didn't. I didn't. There was a, a, a Jewish. So group, Ali, then. No, uh, I'm just, Ali Mac. <laughs> just Bernie Mac, Bernie Zach. Bernie, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, But no, I I grew up in Chicago, and there was just something about uh, movies that Mm -hmm. were just incredible, and I just, you know, as a kid, loved to go see them. It was escapism, and you could get transported into this fantasy land. So um, I went to college, and when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I loved basketball. I loved playing basketball, but I really wasn't that good at it, and I'm I'm not very tall. I'm only 5'10", so it was just average all around. Uh, But I thought maybe I want to work at the NBA, so I flew out to New York, and I was able to get some interviews with the NBA, and I ended up getting a job uh, in a training program there. And I had a family friend who lived in Los Angeles that said, why don't you come out to L.A.? You might be good in the entertainment business. I'll see if I can set you up with some interviews. So I came out to Los Angeles. I met with some agencies and some studios, and I'd never been to L.A. before. And when I say I lived in Chicago, it was really the suburbs about 45 miles west of the city in the cornfield. So it, wasn't, it was kind of a rural area. And I was just enamored by LA. New York sort of scared me. (laughs) And uh, uh, I ended up getting a job in the agent training program at William Morris in 1996 and thought, okay, well, uh, maybe being a talent agent would be cool. Uh, I was always loved doing sales and started little companies and did lemonade stands and stuff as a kid. And I was like, okay, this sounds like it could be pretty fun. And uh, I remember on my first day, Uh, Well, before that, HR said, you know, you have to dress up, you have to wear a nice suit and stuff. So before I came out here, and this was my first job out of college, my parents took me to, like, men's warehouse or something and bought me a couple of suits and some nice ties and nice shoes. And I get to the mailroom, and... I was carrying around mail buckets <laughs> right. that like snagged my ties, I remember. and I had these brand no. new shoes. And I, literally after the first day, I thought I, my feet were broken from walking around all the time. Uh, they told me I had to go sweep a floor, so I asked them where the room was, but that was actually going around and collecting all the mail. So it was it was it was it was the best worst first job that I ever had. Uh, it taught me a lot about myself and and, 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 and just about uh, uh, you know really commitment to to, to work. Um, but it also was an amazing deep dive into the entertainment business. I always say working at an agency is like a pyramid, but upside down. So you're at the point, you really have to sort of know a lot about everything right. in order to really get in the business. So I was there for about a year and a half and quickly decided I didn't want to be Ari Gold before there was an Ari Gold and, uh, it was always on the peripheral and in marketing and promotions, I worked for a marketing company called Simon Marketing for a while that did work for uh, Lionsgate and Artisan and Warner Brothers, Um, and my background was marketing. That was what I went to school with, and um, it wasn't until uh, about 2012 I'd moved back to Denver for a few years that I got reconnected with an old friend of mine, a guy by the name of Jason Schumann, and brought him a project um, that one of my friends brought me, and that sort of enabled me to come back out to Los Angeles. Jason and I uh, found out that we worked really well together, and so we started working on projects. So I started the producer game a little bit later in life, but I think that that helped me because I had all this business experience, and I love spreadsheets, I like legal stuff, I I, I love negotiating, and I think I'm pretty good at that, and I had a little bit of a creative side, and I like working with writers, I like developing scripts, I enjoy working with talent, so putting both of those things together, I thought, made a good producer and, and that's
1: that's what I enjoy doing. Sounds like we could use you talking to the WGA. Yeah, hey, I'd be more it's than like, happy to. You, step you in. seem to like all of the things that we need to work on. But uh, I'm not a
2: writer, though. I'm not going to write. I'll help. But I'm Produce not write. an agreement. There we go. We'll <laughs> try that.
0: What happened to all the NBA stuff?
2: Uh, I'm still friends with some people at the NBA. Yeah. I actually have an unscripted show that I'm working on with them. Oh, cool. Uh, so, uh, and I do still love basketball. Who's your team? Uh, uh well, it's, it's, still the Bulls, you know, when everybody starts to bring up LeBron James is the best or Kobe, Bryant, I just, I have to shut that down right away because it's always going to be Michael Jordan. Gotcha. Um, but actually I, I have another sort of a smaller company that uh, I'm doing some stuff with, with, um, an NBA player by the name of Matthew Della Badova. They yeah. call him Deli. He used mm-hmm. to play for Cleveland, then Milwaukee, and now he's back at Cleveland again. Um, he won a championship with LeBron, so uh, still tied to the NBA in certain ways.
0: Very cool. Are you a sports fan, Allie?
1: Um, or just me? N- I know
0: you're music, I'm a music I'm a guy. music
1: fan. I'm not a sports fan in the way that I once was, because I'm from Chicago as well, so right, um, Michael Jordan is yeah. the best uh, basketball player. Yes. Uh, the end. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's
0: no convincing the two of us. Uh, but isn't, isn't Chicago really a football town?
1: Uh, like every city has their sport. No, so, but, but Chicago, you know, the culture of Chicago is very, uh, uh, segregated, always has been. Uh So, uh, you know, economically is segregated, you know, demographically. So all of these ways. Yeah. So the, you know, of course the biggest stadium is Soldier Field, you know, uh, so there's a, there's a certain group of people that come there, but we've got four, you know, it's the, it's the Bulls, the Cubs, the Sox, the Bears and the Blackhawks. Mm Mm-hmm. All of those stadiums get filled. Right. Right. And not necessarily always by the same people because the Sox fans are not Cubs fans. That's North side, South side. And then, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the bears, you know, pull from all around, you know, and then yeah. basketball demographically, you know, skews minority. It just does. Right. Uh, so it's like in it, it, and Blackhawks is white people. Uh, so, so, <laughs> <laughs> did, I think the Blackhawks won a championship, but I don't know there are any black people who cared. Like, <laughs> Like, it wasn't, like, that wasn't right. our championship. Right. So the Bears was everybody's championship. And I wouldn't even, would even dare say the Bulls was everybody's championship. Sure. Did the Cubs? The Cubs won. won, well, yeah, a couple of right. years ago. And so, yeah, it's like, all oh, right, that's good. I think have, have the Sox won. I think the Sox may be the only team. They, that, they won, like, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I think. Did
2: they? Yeah. So they, I think everybody's yeah, got yeah. one. But um, I remember or maybe it was 10 years ago. Back in the mid-'80s, yeah. you know, you had the Cubs team. Yeah. You had the Bears. So, I mean, Chicago got, does have an incredibly that, yeah. strong
1: sports culture and it's kind of like you know choose your weapon uh so i was always uh i was definitely a bulls fan 100 percent uh and i stopped after jordan i'm like okay good i'm done <laughs> like, I don't I don't have to do this anymore. Right. <laughs> right. The argument's over. Yeah. Reggie Theus days. I was in, <laughs> you know, I was in. <laughs> right. Norm Van Leer. I've been there for a while. Right. Tom <laughs> Borwinkle. I was there for a long time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was there for a long, long, long time. So, yeah, Jordan got the check. OK, good. I don't have to. I'm, my suffering is done. I don't have to. I'm out. Uh, yeah, but I have other avocations. I'm a photographer, a musician, stuff. I do stuff.
0: Um, since you're both Chicago natives, one last Chicago question sure. before we move on: uh, best deep dish pizza? <laughs> Malnati's.
2: Something
1: uh, else. I mean, I was always a Giordano's. Yeah. Fan. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, I I just remember going with my parents to Uno's a lot. Okay. And that was really good, but it was there was also there's one. I remember correctly. I think it was called Nancy's that had really good deep dish oh. pizza, but that was a smaller one than uh, than some of the, the more well known. Yeah,
1: because there's a uno and there's a duet, so you got yes. choose. Yes. Right, yeah. but yeah, uno is, is Uno's really good. 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 But, yeah, uh,
2: but I, I don't. I don't think I've had deep dish pizza probably since I was a kid. Yeah, I've been back to Chicago in a while. I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: get a out. But you also lived in, in New York,
0: Allie, So are you a deep dish guy or a thin crust guy? Uh, I
1: mean, I can go both ways. You know, I mean, they're 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 both good for you know for for what they are, but you know. Um, oh no! I'm
0: putting you on the spot. No, I mean, no,
1: you're not. I, I, I have no, I have no problem shooting down New Yorkers' inherent sense of superiority when it when it comes to pizza. You know, Italians made the other pizza too, so right. you know it's not like you know not like we just went someplace and made up a food. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm a black kid from Englewood. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> I just happen to it's like good. that one. But yeah, if you want to walk down the street and fold your pizza in half and eat it like that, more power to you. Pizza taco. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, I think that. The, the, the deep dish is more of an experience. Is you fork
2: and knife? You yeah, got it. it's 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 a meal. Like, yeah. you only could really eat one right piece because it's well allegedly right. Well, <laughs> if you're a lightweight, right? Yeah. yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: um, okay, let's move on to the launch, which is co-created by yourself, right, and my and partner Jason Shum. Jason Schumann, um, which is really a unique screenplay competition which I sort of only fairly recently discovered, because last year was your first year. Correct. Um, so I'm going to talk about it a little bit, but correct me. Please, please. Um, so the winner doesn't win a meeting with like, an exec per se or like a free copy of Final Draft or whatever, a certificate saying that they're a great writer. Um, the winner of your contest actually gets their screenplay produced with a potentially million-dollar budget, Um, No, it's
1: not a potential. It's an actual million dollar bill. Well, up up, up
0: to. At at
1: least a million. Right, depending on what's required
0: of it. Correct. uh, if it's a brilliant script that takes place in one room, maybe it's slightly
1: less. <laughs> you know, I don't know. No, you still spend the, the whole million. million. Yeah, that's it's, true. Yeah. <laughs> here's, just, here's just a note to anybody right. producing anything. However <laughs> much money they give you, spend it all. all. Because yeah. if you don't spend it all, they'll think it's they can do it for less. Yeah. That's a good
3: point.
0: That Very is true. a good point.
1: Spend all the money. Right. You know, if you just got to sit there playing cards for three hours right. while the clock runs out. That's you know, it, don't let the crew go home. Guys, we could wrap it for, but we still have $1,000 in the bank. I
0: remember that uh, Steven Spielberg saying John Ford gave him one of the best pieces of advice ever, and that was, don't spend your own money. Right? right? Ali has the second best piece of advice <laughs> Spend all spend the all money. <laughs> don't spend, use your own spend money, all of the money spend they it all. You. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, uh, okay, but also... Uh, it's like three finalists will get offers of representation, That's and correct, yes. the top eight share what is it, a hundred thousand dollars in additional like grants for education, education grants. and things like that. Yep. Um, okay, so uh, Zach, how did this contest start? I mean, and and what's the process of like sort of. Turning from a screenplay competition into basically what is essentially a mini studio,
2: uh, you know, production company. Well, I, I hope it gets to, to the mini studio status soon. We're, we're working on that. But,
0: well, we described it sort of earlier as it's basically like a project green light, but for screenplays only. Obviously, you know, Ali right. directed it and he didn't submit for this, it's right. just for writers. But at the same time, it, you know, you're picking
2: a screenplay from a contest and making a film out of it yeah exactly so uh, uh my producing partner jason schumann has um had a contact with a philanthropist that has done very very well in life and wanted to start giving back specifically in education hmm. and then knowing that jason was in the arts and the entertainment business in that realm as well and uh so he approached jason and said hey listen if i gave you a million bucks or so can you do something with that so, Jason said, Let me talk to Zach, my partner, we'll, we'll figure it out. So, we noodled around a few ideas and settled on the screenplay competition called the Launch Million Dollar Screenplay Competition, where it's just available for college students mm-hmm. because uh, Chuck and Marnie Bond, who are the philanthropists, said they just wanted to be college students. So, you have to be 18 years or over, uh, go to uh, be enrolled and, and actively attending a two year, four year graduate school program and uh, you can't be represented by the WGA, you can't have agents, you can't have managers. We wanted really people who weren't in the business that were uh, totally green. So last year, 2018, we launched it. um, the marketing in February and the contest started in March, was open for around three months, and we got hundreds and hundreds of submissions from 208 schools in 37 countries. And we got, uh, you know, we knew we were going to get a ton of scripts coming in, and so we were not going to read all those because that just takes too much time. So we did our research and we found there's an incredible company called ScreenCraft that does mm-hmm. screenplay competitions, and they have a technology called Coverfly, which helped us ingest all the screenplays, uh, all the information that the students had to fill out, uh, uh, process the payments, and then they really have an incredible model where um, they have a basically an app that goes out to readers, and these readers aren't just you know, frustrated college students like I was after I graduated working in the mailroom at William Morris and they said do a coverage and i never even read a script <laughs> right. before. And all of a sudden I'm reading a script for like Bruce Willis to right. determine if he's going to do a movie and they're like, they're, they're relying on me to read this? Damn so
1: action comedy, man. I wrote an action comedy one time. Mine yeah. was way better than this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> I give this action comedy a three. Zero, right. yeah. So they have professional Half. readers who work for right. studios and agencies. There's people have been doing it for a while. And they gave us the best of the best of those. So when a screenplay came in, and let's say it was a sci-fi, they didn't give it to somebody who only likes period pieces, sure. because then you know the the end uh, score could be skewed. So they gave it to somebody who was interested in that. So they helped us read through all the scripts, and at the end of the day, we had the top 25. So when all the scripts came in, about 25% went to the next level. They were all read a second time by a different reader and assessed a score. And then half of those went to a third level, same thing happened. Half of those went to a fourth level, same thing happened. Then the top 25 came back to Jason and myself. And when we were putting together the idea for the competition, we thought we really would love to have a great judging panel to help us read all the scripts and from different areas of the business. So we had an agent, we had a manager, we had a casting director, we had an actor, uh, and we wanted a, a great director as well. And so uh, Jason had worked with Ali before in the past, A manager on um, our our, uh, judging panel by the name of Carlos had worked with Ali in the past, so Ali was gracious enough to lend his time and and to come on the judging panel as well. So we read all those scripts, we narrowed it down to the top eight, gave them $100,000 in education grants. The top three got repped at APA for lit, and mm-hmm. then also at Carlos's management company called Valor Entertainment for lit. So he would uh, agree to manage them, right? Because I noticed
0: Chris Ridenhour was yeah, he was, was the agent the, at APA. APA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so he, he's actually yeah, yeah, USC grad,
2: yeah. And, and Jason uh, uh, went to USC and was friends with him. So we, we reached yeah. out to him, and he was super excited about it. Uh, so they repped the top three, and then the number one screenplay we were going to make for at least a million dollars. So we we and spend all that money, and we spend, spend all money. every dime and more. Uh, So we we essentially came up with that idea, pitched it back to Chuck and Marnie. They said, great, let's go and do it. We did it. We had an overwhelming response. We really weren't sure how many scripts we were going to get. We made sure um, uh, there was a guy by the name of uh, Eduardo Cisneros, who's a big writer. He was on our judging panel. Just in case, you know, we we thought we were going to find at least one good script with maybe a good idea. And if we needed a professional writer to come in to, to polish it up or to redo it, at least we had people on our team to be able to do that. And we started reading the scripts, the top 25, we were just blown away mm-hmm. at the quality of these screenplays from these college students because they they all were really just writing from the heart and they were um, uncorrupted by Hollywood Right, <laughs> and they were just writing from what they knew about and brought whatever was in the zeitgeist. So, you know, it had to do with uh, um, uh, racism or... Uh, immigration or uh, uh, police brutality or LGBTQ issues or just whatever was floating around there because that's what college students care about. So we wrote these incredible screenplays. We got down to about three that yeah. we thought were really good that we knew we could produce for a million dollars. We interviewed them all over Skype to really determine which one we wanted to go with, and we landed on uh, uh, an incredible screenplay called The Obituary of Tunde Johnson written by a kid by the name of Stanley Clue who was 21 at the time when he um, uh, won. When he wrote it, I think he was 20. He's from Nigeria. He's African, and he's on a student visa, and he actually happened to go to USC. Um, Right on. Yeah, so one of the things, just to digress for half a second, Mm -hmm. that we did is when we read all the 25 screenplays, we didn't know what school they went to. We took some of the names off them. We didn't know whether they are male or female. We just wanted to read to determine which were the best screenplays, to not kind of push us in one direction or another. And Stanley's screenplay was just so incredible, we we knew that um, it had to win. Uh, We were lucky that he took a chance on us, because we went back and asked him, what made you apply and submit your screenplay to our competition? And he said he didn't really think it was real, because who'd be crazy enough to give away all this money and guarantee that you're going (laughs) to make a movie? And uh, uh, we keep our submission prices very low, and we can get into that later. But it was, it's twenty dollars, thirty dollars, or forty dollars, when a lot of other screenplay competitions can be over a hundred dollars to right. submit. And uh, so he's like, "All right, for twenty bucks, I'll I'll send in my screenplay." Wow. And he just kind of had a good feeling about it. Uh, it's what he tells us now. I don't know if it was right. if he actually <laughs> did
1: it then, but uh, it turns out he actually submitted eight screenplays under right. yeah, 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 yeah. different names. <laughs> right, right. There were people that submitted a lot of
2: screenplays, yeah. you know, multiple ones. Sure, uh, but it, it just. He he wrote just this incredible screenplay. And what was really cool uh, for Jason and myself and I think for all the other judging panel is to really be able to pay it forward. This business is so crazy. You know as a writer and Ali knows as a writer and all of our other friends, or whether you're an actor or even a producer, it is so incredibly hard to break into the business. It's like the worst fraternity sorority in the world and you have to somehow figure out a way to get in. And we wanted to help. These college students who were really talented be able to not only break into the business but help them out a little bit financially and help them pay for school.
0: Right, right. No, that's great. And like I said, I've you hear about uh, a lot of different contests, competitions, saying that you'll get looked at by this agency right. or you'll get read by right. this person.
2: There's a lot of those,
0: yeah. But they, it's it's difficult to guarantee it unless the judges are the agents and the managers that are going to be doing the representation because they're helping right. select the you know the scripts it's not right. just like we're you know once we've decided then we'll send your script out to this and such an agency they've agreed to read it that doesn't mean very much oftentimes but
1: yeah i mean it's 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 uh it's great when there is and this was an unproven uh, uh competition so you know i mean the leap of faith is are they serious
3: sure
0: yeah. you know oh wow right. it turns
1: out they are you know, uh, I mean, in other instances, there may be some uh, established programs like AFF or Sundance or Humanitas, those right. places where you at least are under the impression that, or not under the impression where you see the pipeline. Oh, you submit here, you talk to these people, and now you have actually met, you know, uh, in terms of connections. It's like, oh, okay, now 10 showrunners know who you are. Sure. Right. And so that's a very legitimate way of, you know, of, uh, of at least establishing some sort of connection you know, in the business because that does matter. You know, if, if you have a great script and 10 showrunners know who you are, right? <laughs> you know, then, you know, when that space comes open, you know, there's there's a much greater likelihood that you can, you know, get your foot in the door than when you're just a person out in the world with a great piece of material and, you know, submitting to that call center in India <laughs> 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 trying to see if you can get a job on the TV show. I mean, it could work. Right. right. But the chances are slim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's... There's, there's been a,
2: a huge proliferation of screenplay competitions out there, sure. and that's confused a lot of people. It's, it's caused some controversy within the industry as a whole, uh, and, and what I think is unfortunate about it is there are, like Ali said, there's a lot of great screenplay competitions out there and filmmaker competitions as well. Manitas, there's the Nichols Fellowship. Uh, you, we mentioned earlier um, uh, Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's and, and there's other really great ones as well that do promise you're going to meet people and they do set up meetings right. for you. But there's also a lot of competitions out there that are just really for profit and right. they charge a lot of money. And I would say a majority of them. Yeah, the, and, know, and that, that's okay if people are going to make some money because everybody has to pay your bills. Sure, but, but there has to be you know if you're going to spend a lot of money on this competition as your entry fee hopefully there are the rewards down the line. There has to be the potential for that. Well,
1: I would say this much. You know, if you're going to submit to any kind of screenplay competition, uh, at the bare minimum, were you to win, will you be put face-to-face with an individual that actually is working in this business, that has content on the air, you know, somebody that's really working and doing things? Because... As a person who's in the business working, like if I meet a young writer and they're really great, you know, I just did a, um, what was it, a film independent. I just did a a panel at a film independent forum. And, you know, and so now I'm meeting some young writers. And so I'm literally saying to them, okay, I see you, right? Uh, You know, here's a, you know, here's a Twitter address or here's my Instagram or whatever. Uh, And, you know, I'm not saying inundate me with things, but I'm talking about three people right now. Right. So you're in this room. I'm in this room. You come up with something great. I know who you are. Right. So, yeah, uh, you know, text me or whatever. Right. right? And so and, and that is an end, because, you know, by virtue of being a writer's assistant or knowing that there's another young person, you know, somebody on on uh, Lena's staff over at the shy right now was somebody that was a, a writer's assistant for me. And, you know, I mean, so, you know, these these things kind of happen. You start floating through this world. You know, I call up somebody, you know, Felicia Henderson, and go, hey, you got a great writer's assistant. Yeah, I know this girl. Mm -hmm. I met her at this thing. She's looking for a break. So those are real avenues. You know, you're not necessarily going to get your product made. But if you can make a real connection with somebody who's actually working and doing things in the business, I consider that valid.
0: Right. 100%. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, as opposed to winning a certificate... From the South Kansas yeah. underground. Yeah. I, don't, like I don't need your free copy of Final Draft.
1: <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> right. Right, right. So right. Uh, $75 to enter. And if I win, right. I get a $99 yeah. copy of Final Draft. Right. All right. <laughs> and a certificate. <laughs> oh, right. There's a certificate. Right. Right. I get that. And too. if you want to go out to Kansas, there's probably some sort of awards right. dinner. Right. Right. Yeah.
2: Fly Maybe. out here and right. walk around. It's and cheese. Right. Whatever Kansas is known for. I don't Steak.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Barbecue, right? Right. I guess.
2: But, you know, there are, uh, um, and we actually, we are giving away copies of Final Draft, so not to uh, belittle
1: them at or like anything. Final Draft. Final Draft. is great. They're great. Yes, exactly. Uh, but but that shouldn't be it's, the end-all goal of and the... But I yeah. could get a $99, right. you know, give me a right. coupon or right. something. That's <laughs> like, exactly. do I really need a script to get $50 right. off of this, or can I just get a coupon? Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you,
2: you, can, you can find that. So what we were doing when we were trying to come up with it is... is not to try to break a paradigm or anything because you know it, it, we're not we're recreating the wheel here, but just looking at all the other screenplay competitions out there. And there was Project Greenlight mm-hmm. that was a filmmaker competition. Sure. And there's been some other ones out there. And we really looked at that because uh, a lot of people, when they send in their screenplays or we've been asked questions like, well, can I direct it? I'm a filmmaker. And we will definitely put them in the running, but our focus was... Jason and I are professional producers, this is what we do, right. and we want to find a brand new baby screenwriter that we can help break in this business right. and surround that person with the best talent that we possibly can. Sure. So when we went, we're putting together our, 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 our judging panel, you know, we had Ali, we had an amazing casting director by the name of Barbara Fiorentino who came on board, she actually just recently took the um, head of casting job at Hulu, so she, she's, she was an incredible casting director. And so we wanted to have, try to get the best people that we could to, to surround this person to give them that immersive experience. Because typically, and you guys know uh, as being writers, that especially in the film business, if someone likes your screenplay, they'll buy it and it's pretty much see you later. And maybe you get lucky and see your movie on the screen a couple of years later. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> maybe you don't, you're not necessarily involved the whole time. Sure. So Jason and I really wanted to make sure that. The person who won was around the whole time. And even if they were going to be out of town, we were going to figure out how to bring him in town or work remotely. Luckily, Stanley actually lived here and Mm -hmm. he went to USC, so it wasn't too far away. So as soon as he won, uh, then our next step was finding a director. Uh, And luckily, Ali was on our judging panel and he really loved the script. And Jason and I looked at him and said, hey, man... Like, this is, is such an incredible screenplay, uh, uh, an amazing story to be told and lessons to be learned and all that kind of stuff. Would you be interested in doing it? So he thought about it, and what we can get into that in a minute as well. But as soon as Ali was on board, Stanley was here every day at our office. Uh, uh, he worked intimately with Ali in terms of doing some polishes and, and getting it from this amazing kind of ethereal idea and screenplay into something that was producible for a million dollars, which is a difficult task he involved with the all casting um, that was one of my favorite parts of the whole thing is we were sitting in there with casting one day with barb and there was some really great you know name actors that were coming in reading for the roles and stanley broke down because he saw actors who he knows or he knew of and saw right. on television or in film reading the words that he wrote right and his dream was coming true like it just it was it was a pinch me moment throughout the whole thing and he was on set every day we've had him involved with post-production so we wanted to give this immersive experience to these this winner about you know how to make a film and really get kind of their graduate degree right uh, with winning the competition so there's really nothing out there like that and we wanted to ensure we could try to put out the best quality product that we could to hope that yes at the end of the day we'd like to make some money on it but to get some eyeballs on it because we kind of thought that whatever script won was right. going to really be something that needed to be told. Um, and in, in filmmaker competitions, it's difficult. You get a newbie director who hasn't been in charge of 100 people, sure. hasn't been in charge of a set, sees a million-dollar budget, and is like, okay, we're going to shoot for months and do this, and right. there's a reality I check need there. a crane. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Or dollies. Dollies. <laughs> right. I got the dollies. Yeah. So um, we wanted to, to, to be able to surround that person with the most professional team possible, and, and we got incredibly lucky not only to have Ali on our judging panel, but that he liked the project enough to, to want to direct it.
0: Right. And just to go off on a little quick tangent, sure, whatever. Um, in terms of writer-directors. Yes. Um, as far as a newer screenwriter, it can be very difficult to attach yourself as a director onto a project, you know, a script. Um, and I want to use an, a couple examples. One, um, a, a classmate of mine at USC back in the day, Richard Kelly, sold Donnie Darko. Mm-hmm. He wanted to direct it. He actually had to take a massive pay cut to actually be able to direct it rather than just hand it off as a script. Like, he would have made right. a substantial amount more money if he just sold it and walked away. But he was so determined to direct it, he's like, I will take a huge pay cut to be able to direct it and got the uh, uh, backing of Drew Barrymore to be able to do it. Right. Um, and um, another... Uh, fellow Trojan, who recently passed away, which was uh, heartbreaking, John yeah. Singleton, mm-hmm. uh, who was just a gracious, just, you know, very, very uh, talented, but just right. also, again, kind and gracious and, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but I remember when John was uh, 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 with uh, Boys in the Hood, right. wanted to direct it, the studio was like, absolutely no way. Right. You know, you're a first-time screenwriter. You've never directed anything. There's no way we're going to let you do this, unless you can get an you know an actor attached that says they want you to direct it. Right. And that's when Lawrence Fishburne came in. Right. Said I, I want him to direct it. Without that, without Lawrence Fishburne himself saying, Right. I want John Singleton <laughs> to direct this. It would have gone a completely different way. Right. Um. So I'm just throwing that out there to aspiring writers that. If you want to sell your script, you are making it harder for yourself if you attach yourself as a director. But if it's something you truly believe in, understand that there are avenues to get it done, but it is a difficult path. Well, I
1: mean, you know, uh, everything is difficult. No, absolutely. There's absolutely absolutely no aspect of being in, getting into (laughs) or staying in show business that is not difficult. Um, So what has changed, is that the uh, the way to get in, uh, the ways the doors move, right? And so, you know, uh, uh, Spike was able to do uh, She's Gotta Have It beginning as a school project. And then, you know, now you have a short film and now you have basically proof of concept. And now, you know, depending on the community of creatives that you're in, maybe you can get a little money to do this and do that. And so, you know, now you're producing your own movie uh, because there is that thing. You know, if you believe enough in, in what it is that you have, uh, then if you can go find some people that believe in that, too, then technology-wise, you know, even then and now, you know, there are ways to get done what you want to do. That's you know, true. tell Robert Rodriguez, you know, he was over there doing, he, what, what did uh, uh, El Mariachi cost? $5,000 or right. $7,000 yeah. at the time. And, and we you know, the technology was nowhere near as advanced as it is now. However, the level of, of creativity, you know, that he brought to the table and, you know, and where he was situated. And then, you know, this is a guy that was able to carve his own path in the business. Right. So, you know, even now, you know, there's a maverick sensibility about what he was able to build and, and how it sustains. And it's all kind of outside of the traditional lanes uh, of show business. So I don't necessarily think that it is, you know, uh, uh, uh difficult in a way that should be a stopping point sure. for a writer director, because if you're a writer and you have a really incredible vision for what you want to do, then you should fight for that. Right. right? And if, and, and if you can't find anybody that, you know, quote unquote wants to let you do it, then you do it in the best way that you can, because your incredible vision, uh, will trump. You know, uh, whatever reservations people have. And then once you've established that thing, now it's something that people can't replicate unless they have you.
2: Right. <laughs> and, th- and today there's really no excuse for you know, someone who wants to direct or even a producer or a writer to go out and make content. Right, like, you, can you do it, know, it on your phone. You do it on your iPhone. Right, uh, right. We were uh, Soderbergh. Soderbergh, High Flying Bird, yeah. shout out yeah. feature on a phone. Shout out, yeah. He's, he's done, and then yeah. uh, Tangerine, I think, was yeah, shot yeah. on uh, iPhone a couple years ago. So there's really no excuse that if you want to be a director, you, there you you can go out and direct, and you can get content with Stanley and with our competition. I I know Stanley was going to be a fantastic director, and I hope that I get to produce his first movie that he gets to direct because he is ridiculously talented. With this we may have taken a shot on him but our timeline was so crazy compressed because we wanted to do everything in the year that we did the competition so we selected him as the winner on August 8th and we started filming October 29th Jeez. so in less than 3 months we found our director we right. did all the pre-production and we got into it we're going to i'm still helping Stanley he's actually writing a short film right now and he's got some amazing actors that are going to star in it and he's going to direct it. And he's got agents that, you know, he's got Chris Reidenauer and Carlos Bobadilla as his team getting him out there. He will direct. So, so like you said, if you are a writer director, do that proof of concept, right. do a little bit of a short film and show people that you have the chops to do it. And then hopefully you can have a team around you, a really great producer or a really great uh, a first AD yeah. a director of photography, somebody that can help you. Uh, uh, concentrate on what you need to do, and just uh, talk about a producer for a second. My main job once we get on set is to insulate the director. The director only needs to focus on their job, and that is getting the performances out of the actor and getting those words uh, uh, from the page onto the screen and make this just look incredible and tell the story and and really run the set. And as, as a first-time director, you really need a strong team around you to allow you to do that so you don't have to worry about all the other bullshit that's happening on set and whether it's money issues or people not showing up or arguments or whatever, that is for you to deal with and let the directors do it. Right.
0: Um, before we move on to Tunde Johnson, yeah. um, so if uh, if writers out there want to submit for the launch. How do they do that? And the deadline's coming up on the 31st, May 31st. Yeah. Sorry. So, so how l- do they do that? Yeah,
2: that's was great. So luckily uh, the philanthropists who put the money in last year had such an incredible time. They came to set a couple of times. They really love Stanley that they just said they wanted to roll the die again and like, let's do it again for a second year. So the 2019 version of the launch uh, is up and running the, uh, we sented the deadline because uh, we had so many people that were so excited about this and wanted to take a little bit more time to write their scripts because they see that the competition is actually real this mm-hmm. year. We, <laughs> like, we did shit. it last yeah. year. It actually made we money. actually made a movie. There's no other competitions out there that are doing something like this. So uh, you can go to screenplay.com. All the information is on there. You can click a button to submit. It's only $40. Uh, It actually costs us a lot more money per uh, submission, but we subsidize that. The philanthropists have given us money to subsidize the entry fee to try to keep it as low as possible for the college students. So May 31st is the deadline uh, for this year. And then we'll be announcing the winner sometime right at the beginning of August. And we'll be in production probably at the end of October, which (laughs) is really, really exciting, but it's also really scary because we're in the same position as last year. We know we're making a movie. We, it's going to happen. We have the money. We're making a movie. We don't know what the movie's going to be because <laughs> right, right, yeah. we don't have a script. Right. We don't have a director. We can't hire a production designer yet because we don't know what it's going to look like. We can't... Don't like, know any of that, but we, so we're, we're making yeah, a movie. but we know we're going to do. It. The train <laughs> so, is moving. Yeah, jump on. Yeah, yeah I it's exciting. You. And, and I, I just, I can't wait to read uh, the top scripts again right. because I, I was just so blown away at, at the quality of the screenplays. I actually, Jason and I optioned nine other screenplays. Oh, wow. Besides making Stanleys because they were that good and we're trying to get those set up and have some other things in the works for those. So we're hoping that we just have some really incredible ones again this year. Wow. Well, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, so go to launchscreenplay.com if you're in college. We want to read your script. Do you offer
0: coverage with that? Yeah, thank you that, for, for yeah, mentioning that. that. That's so with too.
2: with the entry fee yeah. uh, of the forty dollars, because that's it's the late entry fee period right now. You get um, uh, a discount, a uh, pretty big discount, to buy any Save the Cat uh, type stuff. Because mm-hmm. I'm a huge believer in the Save the Cat structure yeah. for writing. And then you also get um, at least a one page uh, coverage feedback from the professional writer. Right. And uh, you know. There was a few people that were unhappy with some of their coverages last year, which is to be expected, but a majority of the people didn't even realize the feedback that they were going to get, and we have great people that are reading these scripts and giving the notes, so everybody who enters gets a page of feedback. Uh, I personally do all the customer service, so if, you, if there's any questions, it's info at com. So if people are writing in and asking questions, I answer it personally. I end up reading other people's scripts just because I want to try to help out. So right. if anybody out there has any questions, they can just email it.
0: No, that's great. Um, and you know, getting coverage can be very costly. That's usually Professional like... Professional coverage.
2: Anywhere between fifty and seventy dollars, I would right. say, right? Yeah.
0: Even for a reputable service like the blacklist, I think it's like per reader's like fifty bucks, I think.
2: Yeah. Um, so that's that's great. You get entered in the contest and you get coverage. Get some so coverage that's... and you get a chance to, oh. you know, maybe win an education grant. Like I said, there's a hundred thousand dollars. We're doing the same prize structure this year. Mm-hmm. The top eight split a hundred thousand dollars in education grants, the top three got read to the APA and at the management company again and making the number one movie for at least a million bucks. Yeah, and then get to hang out with Allie, right? On set? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: I'm, I'm around. <laughs> Cracking jokes.
0: Yes. Um, okay. Uh, Tunde Johnson. Right. So, what is Tunde Johnson about? Uh, and, uh, specifically, Ali, what is it, because you were both involved in the picking of the, right. Uh, right. Uh, as judges, picking of the winner, right. but you had to agree to direct it. Like, yes. you were not you know assigned you to direct no no it. No, no. I, no. i didn't no, know when,
1: when we finished judging i thought i was done right, right. so
0: maybe explain to me what Tunde johnson the obituary of tunday johnson is about and what is it that drew you to this material that said okay i want to direct this. uh
1: i've been trying to figure out how to explain what our pitches this, <laughs> this movie can you do it
2: or... <laughs> well, it's, sure i mean I'll, I'll it's about a um uh, a, a queer black kid in high school mm-hmm. he's first generation born uh, African American he his parents are from Africa and he is stuck in a loop of police brutality um, trying to figure out how to get out of that loop so similar to uh, Groundhog Day or Edge of Tomorrow we see this kid in college uh, going through his life uh, he's in love with um, uh, the captain of the lacrosse team and is trying to get uh, get to uh, his boyfriend's party to come out to his father and every time he does that he ends up unfortunately getting killed by the police so hmm. it's what's happening in uh, the unfortunate way to um, uh, the young black kids today and so uh, Stanley when he wrote the script and then we'll, we'll get back yeah. to uh, um, the directing I think this is important so Stanley's from Africa he's from Nigeria and when uh, he kind of came up with the idea of the screenplay when he's in Africa he doesn't see any racism because everybody's black where sure. he lives. Uh, but there's definite issues with the LGBTQ community in Africa where, you know, it's against the law, people get stoned, it's just horrible things that happen there. And then when he got into USC, he came over here and it flip-flopped. He experienced racism for the first time, he got profiled by the police for the Mm. first time, but all of his gay friends, there's really no issues because of Southern California, gay marriage is legal here, and, and so that was fine. And he was just really bothered by, by what he saw on the television of these, these police brutality and things that were happening to kids that looked like him. And he just felt like he was sort of stuck in a loop. So that was sort of the impetus that, that led him to, to write this incredible screenplay.
1: Right.
0: So seeing as how it's um, sort of dissimilar to Are We There Yet?, um, well, it's everybody here is it. Well, there's a
1: black family. Yeah. Okay, that's so true. So there's that. There's that's a black true. family. So
0: other than that, what is it that made you want to do? Direct this, Ali?
1: Well, uh, and, and and I and I and I hope I'm not spilling any beans here about our our process. Uh sure. But the the thing that I actually advocated for when I was talking to to Zach and and Jason, you know, uh, about why this should be the film that they make. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some other great stories. There's certainly other fantastic screenplays. Uh, but, you know, in my world of, uh, in my Chris Rock world, Chris always, you know, would say this thing. He's like, in baseball, tie goes to the runner. You know, because there's nine people trying to stop this person right. <laughs> from trying to get on this base. So if he gets there the same time and the ball showed up, then give it to the guy because <laughs> he's not supposed to be there at all. Right? right? And so it, it's kind of like that, you know, uh, all things being equal. Uh, This story about, uh, you know, a young queer black kid, you know, and and his personal travails is something that is less likely to get made than some of these other less culturally specific or more widely accepted experiences. So I was just really advocating for if you really want to do a thing that is special, then do the thing that's singular. (laughs) Right. Right not you know and and like i said again it's not to take anything away from those other pieces of work cuz they were really really great but this is one that you're not going to see right right yeah it's run lola run meets you know boys in the hood or something i don't even know what the to... yeah. <laughs> right so it's just like it's it's that you know uh so that's really what what drew me to the material and um uh, you know in terms of you know black cinema in particular You know, to have a story about uh, that, that uh, rested in this space of police brutality, but the movie's not about that, (laughs) was incredibly special to me. You know, ultimately, it's a love story. Right. But then to have this uh, element that requires some suspension of disbelief, you know, it was a great way uh, to get into the piece. And then to have a, a significant, two significant social issues, but not be dogmatic about either of them, you know, was also a thing that I thought was really fantastic. This film, I think, challenges people to make a certain set of decisions for themselves, but the movie doesn't tell you what to mm. do. The movie does not tell you how to feel. Gotcha. You know, it doesn't make villains of police. It doesn't uh, uh, say anything about the nature of this a relationship between these two boys other than, you know, they care for each other and it's very problematic for them to have it, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so then if that's the case now, as a viewer, what I'm hoping to convey is, you know, where, where do you rest in this space? You know, how difficult do you make it, whether knowingly or unknowingly, for people to be in relationships where they, you know, where they can just love somebody else. Right. And the other thing that was a really big deal for me is uh, uh, is the treatment of the black body, right? Uh, so in this society, we have an incredible degree of comfort with absorbing violence against black bodies. We see it all the time. You know, it's on the news, whether it's a fight or somebody gets shot or you know, however it is visited upon him. You know, we're very, very comfortable with that. And conversely, this society has uh, at worst an aversion you know, but you know in in the least a a a, a, a discomfort with watching you know love <laughs> visited upon black bodies right so that why is that revolutionary you know to have a simple love scene? You know, uh, someone being gentle and kind and loving and affectionate, you know, and intimate with a black woman or a black man without it being sensational, you know, without it having to be, you know, funny, (laughs) right? How come it can't just be genuine and tender and loving and kind and and that doesn't repulse us? We feel like we don't want to spend too much time watching that because it's not interesting. Sure. You know, I can't see myself in that person. So therefore, I don't want to see that person enjoying a thing that I would enjoy. So let's just make it two white guys. Right. (laughs) Right. That's easier. Why is that easier? Right. You can't even like I'm growing up my whole fucking life imagining what it would be like when I'm watching white people on screen doing shit. Right. I do that's my suspension of disbelief. Right. You know, hey, white people going to space. Hey, white people on the boat. Hey, white people in history. Hey, white people in the future. Hey, white people are superheroes. Right. I have to imagine what it would be like to be in that space. But somehow white people can't do that. If it's black people in a love scene, know I didn't I, I like it. <laughs> right? right. So we give you half of it. It's a white kid in there. So maybe you can go <laughs> right. through right. that door. <laughs> uh yeah, but it's not, like I said, it's not it's not dogma. It's not about making people feel badly about anything it really is about watching you know a kid come to uh, a truth about who he is and how he's supposed to move through the world
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah and we we just getting to know ali i i didn't met him before he came on the judging panel he's you know knew jason and knew a couple of other people uh uh involved with the competition but meeting him for the first time and just getting to know him and uh, understanding kind of his views on certain things, when we read the script and we sat down and chatted with him and said, hey, think about it, he took a couple weeks, he thought about it, he came back to us and kind of pitched us his take, and Jason and I just were thanking eh, whoever. <laughs> we were so lucky that, that he decided to come on board, and that experience just uh, continued throughout the pre-production. Like I said, we... we selected the movie or yeah it selected uh, uh stanley on, on august 8th it was a couple of yeah. weeks after that that ali decided to come on board and principal photography started on october 29th and everybody knows what it takes to put yeah. together a movie That's, <laughs> it, moved. It, yes. it was a little crazy and 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 literally there would there, there isn't anybody else that that we would have rather had uh lead the charge than than ali throughout this he was just fantastic throughout the whole thing and being on set Getting to see him work his magic and working with the actors and coming up with the shots and everything. Uh, no, I'm an I'm
1: an overachiever. Yeah. No, it
2: was it was it was incredible. And and it, you know, this this whole experience was a thing of firsts. So, uh, this was Stanley's actual first script he ever mm-hmm. wrote, and this is now his first movie and this was Ali's first, this is my first film full length feature directed. Cuz okay. I, I know you have done a ton of TV.
1: I've done a lot of TV, but of I hadn't had an opportunity to do a feature. Yeah. So
2: it's his first feature film directing and this was actually my first feature film producing. Well, congratulations. So it was all uh, right. Thank you. So I mean, it, it's, oh. it's, it's, it's the cool,
1: cool thing is that when you know, when people have these collective talents and and you follow your passions, uh, you know at, you know at this point in in my career and you know maybe in Zach's as well you know uh you know people think that maybe you should have done this or you should have done that but back when we were talking about that writer director thing you know they, they've got two entry-level positions in hollywood pa and director <laughs> <laughs> right so uh 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 you, you know to to be able to get into a position to do something to believe in it and then you know create a space You know, all of this, everything that's happening here is is invention and passion. Mm -hmm. You know, people wanting to do something, believing it can be done and then finding like minded people. Right. Right. And so that's kind of, you know, where this whole thing comes from. I did want to say one more thing, too, about uh, the difference between doing material like Everybody Hates Chris and Are We There Yet? And this uh, where on the surface it might seem. You know, dramatically different. It's a drama. It's big social issues. That's what it looks and feels like, and it feels like those other things were, you know, family comedies. But for me, the through line is the normalization of the black experience, right? So on everybody hates Chris. It's just a family, you know, and it comes from right. Chris Rock's experience. But it's a mom and a dad, and they got a family, and they got some issues, and they talk about stuff, and they work things out, right? And that's really what the show is, right? Right? Are we there yet? It was no different. It's a mom and a dad and they got some kids and they have some issues and they talk to each other and they laugh and they get mad and, you know, it's just a family doing stuff, right? And it, and, it, and and we don't have to be like a super black family doing super interesting black stuff in some circumstance where it's right. especially difficult to be, right? It's like it's just trying to make it feel regular, trying to make things feel normal and, and the idea that that thing is something that needs to be pushed as a concept that We are black. We don't have to be black. Right. (laughs) Right. That's a big concept then. And when you're, you know, creating material and the people that you have to convince to give you money to do this stuff, don't see you as being regular and they're not connecting to your experience because you know what you look like prevents them from embracing what you're going through. You know, it, it, it means that a certain type of material, you know, uh, uh, is what you see. And so that's what I've always been doing is trying to just trying to be right, you know, and, and make that a thing. Uh, and then in terms of producing this, uh, project directing, uh, I wasn't kidding when I said I was an overachiever, you know, um, you know, everybody hates Chris. We did much more with the resources than people, you know, studio imagined that we would do. Mm-hmm. Like, they're willing to spend this much on it. You know, I've never had amazing craft services. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just the truth. You know, when we did Are We There Yet? We did uh, 100 episodes in 18 months. You know, uh, right. Right. I'm an overachiever. I know how to take a little and make a lot of it. Uh, and uh, I I do want to give a shout out to our uh, DP Steve Holleran because he had one of the reasons that uh, uh, you know I liked him and you know ultimately we ended up working with him is because he did another small film called uh, a boy a girl a dream Mm -hmm. directed by a guy named Kasim Bashir I'm pretty sure it is and uh, basically they shot the movie in a day so I'm like Oh, well, yeah. I'm like, well, if you can shoot a movie in a day, certainly you can yeah. shoot one in 16 days. That's like a luxury, yeah. <laughs> and that was 16 days yeah. down from 18 days. Yeah, because our, our budget was a little
2: over a million dollars. And we had uh, 16, well, we, we were trying to get more days, but at the end we had 16 days to shoot this thing. And that was one of the other things that we were, like. We knew Ali would know how to do, working sure. in the television, television. world. Yeah. And having right. to turn around those episodes very quickly. But he and Steve, and, and I'll give a, a quick shout-out to Canon as well. We had Canon come on as a, a partner, yeah. and they gave us uh, free reign of their cameras. And we ended up getting two of their brand-new C700 full-frame cameras that shot in 6K, which is oh, just wow. yeah. insane.
1: And we shot anamorphic, which was fantastic. Wow. lenses. Yeah. So yeah. With,
2: with the help that we got, we, we really... We are punching above our weight class the whole time. We got Ali Leroy to direct our film. We got yeah. Steven Silver as Tunde, and he was in 13 Reasons Why and a bunch of other things. And just a ridiculously incredible actor, along with Nicola Peltz, who played Marley, mm-hmm. and uh, Spencer Neville, uh, who's a fantastic actor, played uh, Soren. Uh, we got uh, amazing cast due to our amazing casting director who came on, uh, Barb Fiorentino. Uh, we had Steve Holleran as yeah. our DP. We had an incredible assistant director. By name is Gabriel Williams, who's worked on like 50 films and television projects, just a huge guy. Uh, in post-production, we have um, uh, Shannon Davis as our editor, who's an incredible editor, right. come in and, and work with Ali to, to get us where we needed to go. Uh, I don't think we've announced it publicly, but I, I'm fine with doing it here. We have uh, um, a guy who's our composer. His name Mm. is Daryl Jones. He's the bassist of the Rolling Stones. Wow. So the bassist of the Rolling Stones is scoring our movie for us. So (laughs) we've just constantly, I think because of the launch, but then also because of the material and this incredible story that Stanley wrote, we were able to punch above our weight class and get these just incredible people to come on. And that's one of the things that I think Jason and I really wanted to do is we did the competition. We chose the script. You know, this wasn't our experience. Um, you know, a, a white Jewish kid from the Midwest, I, I didn't live the, the black experience or know what Stanley was going through when he was growing up. But we wanted to make sure to hire the best people to come in as our partners and give it to them to do. So we were there to help put it all together and to make sure that the the, the switches on the train tracks ran. But other than that, it was you know, Holly show and getting all these other incredible people in here to to tell this incredible story.
0: When and where can we see
2: Tunde Johnson, the obituary of Tunde Johnson? Yes. Yes. Uh, When, hopefully soon where we're, we're determining that we have a great sales agent on Mm -hmm. board. We're going to be hitting the film festival circuit in the fall. And, um, we all are cautiously optimistic. There will be a buyer out there that is going to fall in love with the film like we did. And, um, uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll get it picked up, and, and you'll be able to see it, whether it's on a digital platform or in so, the theaters. Uh, I don't think we really mind either way. We just want people to see this film because it's,
1: I it's just a did a cut film. for the ViewMaster.
2: <laughs>
1: a lot of people Going don't use the Viewmaster anymore, yes. but I was like, you you know, so we should
0: just kind of like go backwards through. in time. Broaden the
1: audience? Good yeah, yeah, yeah. So they say that, that cut is a little shorter. It's 20, <laughs> 28 frames. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> but it tells the story. Right. But it tells the story. Right. And, uh, you know, you can pick up a Viewmaster, I think, on eBay for about eight or ten bucks, yeah. and you need some sunlight. Your local right. flea market. And yeah, you're good. <laughs> can give you a soundtrack. It'll be great. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, okay, well, we'll have to have you guys back as well as uh, Stanley, maybe. Oh, yeah, when, yeah you he's know, definitely. When, when you guys him. have, you know, a release plan to talk sure, about it, yeah, it'd be wonderful. Um, but I, I, I want to go back to what you were saying, Ali. Uh-huh. Uh, just a story that I, I remember: um, Eric LaSalle on ER uh, saying that the thing he loved about Dr. Benton, his character on ER, mm. when he read for the role initially, was that he, he it was. Dr. Benton. It wasn't a black doctor. He right. was, And he wanted that role so badly because he wasn't coming in as a black doctor with black... It was just... He was a doctor with human problems and right. that's what appealed to him and that's why he was so desperate to get that role. Yeah. So.
1: Great actor. Did great work. Yeah. And what is he? He's a... He's a... Like a directing producer on... Yeah. Chicago PD, I think. No, you know, I think yeah, he's an EPN. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, something like reasons, that. Yeah. yeah, Just no, just an incredibly talented guy. But yeah. yeah, as as an actor, as a creator, and you know, in the world of you know uh, of people of color, like we we don't want to be reduced to ethnicity first and ability second. Right. <laughs> right. Finding <laughs> the best level <laughs> for the job. Right. Muhammad Ali is not the best black. person. <laughs> right <laughs> lebron james is not the best black basketball player right <laughs> right you know so it, it, it's it's just that it's like yeah when we start talking about these equivalencies it's like can people be seen you know in whole right the thing that i uh, uh it's it's a it's a the dictate in writing you know it's like action is character
3: mm-hmm. what
1: do they do mm-hmm. right <laughs> That's who they are. Right. Right. How do they behave in a circumstance? Right. What do they do when they're faced with certain sets of challenges? That's who they are. And then the secondary thing of, you know, of what they look like informs relationships and blah, 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 blah. But it's secondary. Right. You know, the primary thing is what is the conflict between this person and the circumstance? Right. You know, be that's, you know, man versus man, man versus environment man versus himself or woman, as the case may be, or uh, whatever new uh, terminology we need for whatever lands in between that. Right. Sure. <laughs> Trying to be sensitive, I don't want to. Yes. Non-binary. Yeah, non-binary. Right. Non-binary versus environment, right. non-binary yeah. <laughs> versus, right, that. So, yeah, man. And that was,
2: that was our, our motto from the very beginning when we first sat down with Ali, is that you know we all have a lot of contacts in the business, we all know a lot of actors, we all know a lot of people for crew, but we just wanted to hire the best people. Sure. Didn't matter who they are, it just they had to be the best because we wanted to make sure to surround this project. And it really wasn't about any one of us. It was really about Stanley and about the competition and letting his dream come true. And it was all about getting his vision and his script up onto the screen. So that was that was the end all be all. And if you weren't on board with that, then that's okay. This isn't the project for you, but we wanted to hire the best people that bought into our vision of what we wanted.
0: Right. And remind people again where they can go to submit.
2: Yeah, please. If you're in college, 18 and over, uh, anywhere in the world uh, that's listening to this podcast, go to launchgreenplay.com and you can submit your script up until uh, May 31st uh, at midnight. Okay.
0: well, the deadline's yeah, May thirty first, midnight Pacific Standard Time, right? Correct. twenty twenty
1: nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Yeah, because i just unfortunately, this no, podcast yeah. will live on the internet, right? <laughs> yeah. Like you know, it'll be April true. of that next year. Dry. People are like, I got a shot. It's right. like, yeah. no, that that's <laughs> that's, so that, was right. that was last year. That was last year. This is twenty nineteen. <laughs>
0: right. Good point. <laughs> good point. <laughs> so if it's, if this is twenty twenty two and right. you want. To enter the screenplay competition, check it out. Just, just
2: Google. Just Google Google it's still, still there. there.
0: <laughs>
1: Hopefully, we'll yeah. still be running. Right. You know, make sure it's the right launch screenplay. Right. That somebody's going to come up with a spam website right. by then. Right. And try and take your money. Yeah. that's yeah. true. Go to the right one. The real launch. The, the real, right. <laughs> right. Look for the blue check mark. Right. Yeah. They're going to
0: they're going to yeah, scrape the internet for pictures, photos of Ali. To put right. on There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it
1: happens. Believe me, right. it happens. Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we got to get a blue check mark.
0: Oh yeah, we should. Yeah. We'll call we, Twitter. Should. Yeah,
1: we need that. Instagram. Right.
0: We know people. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I love how we're having a social media conversation
2: yes. going on. I got a blue that.
1: check mark on my uh, Twitter account, but not on my Instagram. Oh.
2: Uh,
1: so I don't know who I have to call, but I have to call someone.
2: And yeah, we'll call Mark Zuckerberg. He's not busy.
1: Yeah. He'll
2: <laughs> we'll make it happen.
1: He should put a phone number up and see what happens. Right. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. You know what? You know what probably happened like with a, with an, like a gorgeous woman? Like... Mm-hmm there's a good chance that people wouldn't call it because they wouldn't think that it was real. Right. Then you call and it's like, Mark. hello, this is Mark. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, (laughs) what? (laughs) Who? Really?
0: (laughs) It's you? The problem with the internet, though, is there are so many people out there that some... Yeah. Somebody's gonna call. Did something you.
1: happen to you, man, that you wanna tell us about? <laughs> I mean you just like you just like it just really hits you for a second. It's like man, the internet man, it's like it's horrible. People are horrible on the internet, man. I don't understand why they behave the way that they behave.
0: I don't you know Unfortunate to, I, that I can say no to that. Oh, but okay. just if you just look at our country and oh, the climate. I that's a you, whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's my rationale. You're just, you just opening a can of worms and or you're just poking it
3: and you just yes. like,
0: uh, can we all just be cool? Yes. Oh, man. Be
1: um, Ali is on Twitter at uh, Mr. Leroy, M R L E R O I, and uh, Instagram, Mr. Leroy, M I S T E R l-e-r-o-i
0: only one has the blue check mark at this that's the, twitter at twitter so yeah. if you don't see the blue check mark on instagram right. it might it's still a, be it's him. a fake account right yeah but there, I
1: don't think there's many fake accounts of me <laughs> no not on yet a, on uh, instagram okay I'm gonna yeah. start one. Oh, you got it? yeah okay good luck Ali's dreads right on instagram yeah cause that would be an old <laughs> picture of me
3: yeah
0: <laughs> nice. uh, and be sure to check out launch screenplay at uh, at launch
2: screenplay on facebook and on instagram
0: What's on the Instagram page? Is it photos from the set and stuff? Uh, yeah, photos we have of stuff from the
1: Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's, all, it's all connected. <laughs> they don't really yeah. have a lot of content yet, so right. it's just kind of like <laughs> yeah, it's just all the same. No, we of have all uh,
0: eating, eating, craft service.
2: On yeah. The set. <laughs> yeah, and the craft service was okay on our yeah. film. Yeah, it was fine. It was yeah. decent. Yeah, good time. Uh, yeah, we have. That's because you vibe. weren't in charge of it, right? I wasn't. Yes. Uh, we have some great behind the scenes footage and also on our website even if you're not uh, interested in submitting yeah. but you're interested in finding out more information about the film sure. we have a great uh, couple minute uh, little sizzle on there with cool. behind the scenes showing Stanley and Ali and some interview with the cast uh, that's at launchscreenplay.com or, or yeah on Instagram and Facebook All
0: Right. thank you gentlemen for coming on
2: Thank great. you very much Appreciate um, it And if you have questions about the crafter
0: business of screenwriting you can send us an email to askatscriptsinscribes.com or send us a tweet to at script scribes there's no and in the middle there just at script scribes and thank you all for listening
3: thank Bird. you